first reading is from Romans 16, verses 1 through 7. Commendations and greetings. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centuria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people, and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Achilla, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend, Apinatus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. The word of the Lord. Please rise for the reading of the gospel. The gospel today is in Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went to the region of Judea, the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test them. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. These are the words of the Lord. Please be seated. Something wrong with you having me up This is actually correct. But uh, just remember words of my uh, supervisor when I'm on the internship. He said this to me. He said, you know, here you go visit someone in the hospital or go have visit with anyone for any reason. You're going by yourself. You're only doing half the job. And so uh, Topper's been doing a wonderful job filling in for me when I'm, when I'm not here. And I thought, you know, get some more training here for a guy who's gifted the Lord. So Topper, thanks so much. You're welcome. <laughs> we are talking about marriage and money. You're like, yeah. Really comfortable topic, right? There, there are some topics in, in households that, that you have a conversation about you're proactive. Like, you need to talk about this, and this is important stuff, right? And there's some conversations that we have in our households that are reactive. Something happens, we got to deal with it. And there's some conversations in our household that are radioactive. And this is often one of them. But marriage is one of the greatest entities on earth for uh, producing resources. It just is. When marriage works well, it works well financially. When it doesn't work well, it, the results are very hard. You know the number one cause of um, poverty in America? Divorce and 
say that 67% of couples who divorce, they say that money was the number one reason. This conflict's over money. That's what we're going to talk about this today. We follow God's word on marriage and money and grasp to reduce the divorce rate in America. That's pretty cool. Let's talk about that today. There are five dangers uh, regarding money and marriage. And the first one is this. Disregarding the Lordship of Jesus. Martin Luther said that when a, when a person follows Jesus, there are actually three different conversions. There's a conversion of the heart, conversion of the mind, and the last, always the last, is the conversion of the wallet. It just, it just takes the longest and it's the hardest because that's the area where we feel like we have the most control. Sometimes our hearts get broken and we're like, oh man, I need help. Lord God, please help me. Sometimes we're struggling with issues. Uh, philosophically, we're like, Lord God, how can you make sense of this? We give that over to the Lord. But that cash, that cold, hard cash, you can hold on to it. But Lord God, I worked hard for this. This is mine. We're like dolls in the ring. They're precious. <laughs> Jesus said, turn it over. Because if Jesus is Lord of the household, then Jesus is also Lord of the wallet. If Jesus is Lord and head of the household, then spouses don't have to butt heads over money. Jesus is Lord, then, then you aren't. Jesus is Lord, then your spouse is. If Jesus is Lord, then your role is to serve your spouse and not use money as a means to control your spouse, which often happens in relationships. And God invites you to turn it over. It says this in Matthew chapter 6. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the challenge is this, is that money makes the same promises God makes. They make the exact same promises. Money promises security. Money promises comfort. Money will even promise joy. But money's promises, they, they don't last. Your advice is really cool. You get like a, like a brand new car. You sit in it, it's got that new thing, you got the new car smell. And you don't let anyone eat any food in your car for a month. You're like, get that coffee out of there. Just get it out. This is my new car smell. You're going to ruin the new car smell. And you love the car. For about a month. And then you're looking for something different. The couch, the appliance, the shoes, or men, the boat. Don't buy the boat. This day, the stick trip the boat. <laughs> best day of your life will be when you buy the boat. The second best day will be when you sell it. <laughs> and that's one of the uh, challenges that God gives to us. He invites us to trust, to make Him Lord of our life.
know the answer? Then you should be praying over a pack of gum, right? If you're in the grocery aisle and like a pack of gum, or God, or I love juicy fruit that's not on sale, you know, the intention. Just get the gum. But in, in every marriage, and for every for all of us here who are single too, you should have that amount where you go, gosh, this is this I need to take the Lord. This I need to pray over with my spouse. And that amount to be different for everybody. You should kind of know what it is. In that way, Jesus is Lord of your household and your plan. And you aren't just about it. Take some time to pray about it. Discuss it. It's important. The second danger is this. Disrespect a spouse's financial perspective. Everyone take out your, hold up your purse or your wallet. You got it with you.
looks like. And that's a source of tension. Because <coughs> you're looking at the same thing, you're looking at it differently. You might even bump head by it. You may wish, I wish my spouse would see money the same way I do. I wish my spouse could have a $10 bill in her pocket and not spend it. I wish my spouse wasn't so uptight about money. I wish my spouse would actually like loosen up a little bit. We'd have a little bit of fun. After all, we work hard. Why not? Maybe thank you about that. But having different money language can be a great strength in a relationship. Because if you have the same money language, you speak the same language, but you might be in serious trouble. If you're a driver, if you're a driver, okay, here. if you're a driver, sometimes you just don't enjoy God's gifts. God gives you money as a gift to use and to enjoy. If you're a driver, you're not enjoying it, you're just looking for the next investment. So you can never that. Alright. You're amiable. If you have two people in marriage who are both amiable, they're broke. Especially if I control the funds, 
then you can't leave them. And what happens is that the higher uh, relationship has one partner dominating another, the lower the satisfaction the relationship, which makes perfect sense, doesn't it? And the other person says, just give me out of prison. Don't tell 
nothing you offer in church. Stop. Hey, that's my car stop. This thing in the freezer is like three and an ice cube. Cut it up. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. It'll, it'll sink you. It'll cause stress in the relationship. The way to do that is uh, the way Dave Rance describes this book. Um, called The Dead Snowball. Take the smallest amount of credit card debt you have, and you just bust it and pay it off. And then you roll that amount over with your next credit card, right? You got busted, pay that one off. And then you get that larger amount, you take that monthly payment and roll it over and pay off your largest credit card debt until you're just gone credit card debt. Get rid of it. And then don't ever go back. Don't go back. Bible says this. It says, uh, 1 Timothy 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world, we can take nothing out of it. God gives gifts. He says, be content. Be content with this. When we spend beyond our means, we're not being content. Saying, Lord God, I wish you'd give me more. Oh, I got this little plastic thing, it'll give me more. The last thing here is this. Disagreement over priorities and values. I'm going to ask you a tough question here. Why don't you be honest? Raise your hand and make a pledge. You've got to make a budget. You've got to budget. And here's why. Some of you, some of you are expressive, or rather you're amenable. You look at the word budget, you're like, Dude, no, that sounds like torture. That sounds like restrictiveness. That sounds horrible. I'm not making a budget. Forget it. Here's why budgeting is important, particularly if you're married. Budgeting allows you to express the values that you have. Budgeting isn't so much about numbers as it's about goals and values and dreams. Once a year, about once a year, my wife and I, usually around our anniversary time, we'll just get out, go out for dinner, go camping, something. And we have what I like to call the state of our union address. And we just kind of talk about how things are going. How the kids did this past year. How we did this past year. We talk about the next year. There's some goals and dreams and values we have. And then we say, okay, what do we need to do to get there? What's it going to take? And then we do it. And when you do that, you accomplish things together that you couldn't do apart. You have goals together. You have dreams together. We uh, got done uh, yesterday uh, my son's football game. We played the state championship playoffs. Lost. Got the green, actually. It wasn't green. But they were in the final eight of the state for their division. Pretty good. Pretty good. Ten, ten and one is a pretty good season, right? And you have these, these tough senior kids, right? The big, big kids on campus, right? And they're just crying. They're crying. Oh, the season's over. You know? And, and there's, even, there's even this one uh, freshman, right? The, the kid's this tall. We'll never see the playing field, right? At least not this year, unless he had some growth spurt. And he's just crying. 
They're united. They have a dream together. They have a goal together. Like, wow, we can do this. We can do this together. Very powerful. So I had Marilyn read Romans 16. Marilyn, that's like the hardest passage to read in Scripture, all those names. I'm really, really sorry. She did a great job. <coughs> Romans 16, it's just a bunch of names. At the very end of Romans, you're so tempted to flip right through it and go, yeah, 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 I got to get this part. The rest of Romans is really important. Romans 16, yeah, just add on. But Romans 16 is critical. In this, it lists two married couples in Romans 16. One of them is listed first, Priscilla and Aquila, the husband and wife. Interestingly enough, Paul lists Priscilla first before her husband Aquila, which in that culture was very, very unusual. He didn't do that unless Priscilla had been really, really helpful to Paul. And so he lists her first. And then he lists another married couple there. It's Anne, Dominus, and Junia. Well done, Marilyn, that's a tough one. They actually went to prison with Paul. Together. When we read about them today, because these people had a vision, a dream, bigger than themselves, bigger than even their family. They wanted to leave a legacy. This is my challenge to all of you. In whatever phase of life you find yourself, single, married, empty nest, young kids at home, multiple grandkids, Whatever stage of life you are in, what legacy is God calling you to leave? What vision do you have? What dream do you have bigger than yourself? What will you leave behind that will last for eternity? What's your legacy? our God desires each and every one of you to have that. And not only that, He's given you gifts to do just that. There's talents, skills, passion, finances, resources, experiences that you have. God says, this is my gift to you. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Use them. And then steward them. So that you'll leave a legacy. So that people years after you will be able to say, wow, we're enjoying something great because people were here for us. They left a legacy for us. And we are standing on their shoulders, walking on their footsteps. May the peace of God which passes all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord for life everlasting. Amen. Stand.